Hello, shiny happy people. Welcome to another podcast. This week is a little bit different. I've got couple of friends and colleagues joining me on a panel discussion. You know, one of the things that I've been very, very passionate about in the last decade or so is this concept of facilitation. It's essentially giving groups a voice and creating an environment where they can all share and work with each other and collaborate at the highest level of conversation in order to achieve something. You know, the way the world is going on right now, I think everybody needs a voice and we need to come together even more than ever before. So that's really what the conversation on our panel is going to be. So let's get started. And again, let's get up, get moving, uh, do something different, step away or go away from your computer and listen to this podcast. Let's get going, people. To our interview segment, we're going to talk about a topic that I'm very passionate about, facilitation. In my career, uh, I'm very privileged to hold a role on the board of the International Association of Facilitators as the current chair, and I've been on the board for a couple of years and very inspired what we do as a community. And today we've got two guests and friends and colleagues, Jillian Chambers, who's the regional director from Latin America and the Caribbean, and she's woken up way too early. Uh, it's very early for her in Jamaica. And we also have Rebecca Southerns, who's the regional director for Canada, who's also early. It's just a little bit, I think, an hour's time zone difference from them. Both of you, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Vinay. Good to be here. Thank you. Great. So what's happening in the world of facilitation in, in, in your neck of the woods? Uh, Rebecca, let's start with you. What's happening in the world of facilitation? What are you seeing right now? Well, I think um, obviously like everywhere probably, the main thing is a massive shift to online work. And so um, I see people upskilling their digital uh, capacity. So they're trying to um, they're having to hold all their meetings online and figuring out whether they want to either learn to be a great online facilitator or whether they want to hire a great online facilitator to help them uh, figure out how to do that. And I saw a bit of a delay in that at first when um, the pandemic hit where people were scrambling, trying to figure out how long this was going to last and whether they needed to bother getting good at this. But now I'm seeing that they that we're all kind of settling in for a longer journey. And I think as a result, people are starting to realize that as Zoom fatigue sets in and as people are feeling increasingly disconnected, having spent too long at home, um, really solid meeting processes are part of what's needed to keep their productivity up and to keep their energy up uh, through the long haul. Right, yeah, definitely. I think everyone's gone virtual and will stay virtual for a while, I guess. Jillian, in, in good old Jamaica and in the Caribbean and Latin America, what are you seeing? Actually, I want to say ditto to what Rebecca has just said. Um, mm. It's basically that people were, I think, in shock 
and there wasn't anything going on for a cup for a good six weeks possibly and now it's about okay so let's use this time productively on a personal level on a professional level and on, on an organizational level um some of the shocks i think obviously not just the pandemic itself and how people have to work but i didn't i don't think that that people realized that facilitation itself and having meetings themselves you don't just shift things online you actually have to know what you're doing and this the learning curve has been very steep very yeah. very steep yeah I, I agree i think even i've um, struggled to pick up i think we all knew the skills of online facilitation but to do it with this intensity and frequency and uh, and it was an option but now it's 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 not an option it's the only way we can do it right yeah the uh, the other thing that I'm also thinking about, and I want to come back to that, particularly in what we as a community of facilitators are doing. Um, but one of the things that's, you know, as I look out at the world is facilitation has always given people and groups, we give everybody a voice. And I see a lot of voices out there in, in with all the stuff that's happening in communities, right? Whether it's uh, the social economic inclusion, the other conversations around race and diversity that's happening. So what do you think? Do you think, uh, I mean, I've got my view, but do you think the role of facilitation in community conversations is going to increase, decrease? I think that people will have, will learn to have and are learning to have what they deemed to be or what they would have called difficult conversations. Mm. Whether they do that through proper facilitation in a structured way using process, etc., or not, I think that we will get there. But at the moment, it's about trying to sit down and realize that we have to have different types of conversations. Yeah. I was noticing it in a project I'm involved in specifically this week where a series of meetings that would have happened in person have shifted, obviously, to happening digitally and I'm looking for the kinds of things that are making those better as a result and the things that are making them worse. And um, these are conversations that are quite localized in a geography in one particular physical community and therefore could have happened in person in a different way than, for example, areas where I see digital allowing us expand, to expand our reach. So sometimes one of the good things is that you can attract people from all over the world because the accessibility is so much greater with, um, with online work. But in this particular example, it's very much neighborhood-based work. And that's where I found the digital piece frustrating for people. Um, they really wanted to be together and um, were, were frustrated by, the, by not being able to be. And yet one thing that happened was that they were able to be anonymous in a different way online than they would have been in person. And that created both opportunities for people for greater safety in some ways, but yeah. also again, frustration because other people said, hey, if you had come in person, you wouldn't be able to um, be anonymous. You wouldn't be able to turn your video off. Um, and so I'm finding there's some very specific things about online versus in person that are kind of infused into what are already um, challenging conversations. And it led us to a place of talking about safety and inclusion and how we were seeking spaces that were both safe and inclusive 
And yet in this context, those things were a little bit in conflict with each other, that in order to be inclusive and welcoming of whoever wanted to be there, other people felt unsafe as a result and started using the technology in newer, different ways to protect their own safety in that space. And so as a facilitator, what's required of me in terms of maintaining or promoting both inclusion and safety felt quite different. And that takes me to a very different, more nuanced place than just, you know, figuring how to set up a poll or a breakout room on Zoom or something. You know, it's, it's an interesting observation that virtual environment creates potentially more safety. And uh, in a way, you can actually say something in a virtual environment and not worry so much about the reaction in the room as compared to if you were there face to face, right? Because you'll have to see the reaction from the person. Here, you're physically distant. So in a way, yeah, you're right. Didn't think of it that way. Yeah, I noticed it in the <laughs> chat as well because people can, um, in, a, in a physical room, people wouldn't have side conversations as much. And if they do, as the facilitator, we would probably discourage that. Whereas the chat in an online space is actually a new and additional tool for me. I don't discourage those side conversations in the chat. It adds richness. And yet we've been running into some issues with some of these more um, high stakes fraught conversations where the chat, where what's going on in the chat isn't mirroring what's going on out loud. And so if people aren't tracking the chat well, people can get quite upset about things that are happening in the chat. Um, and it's hard as a facilitator to be doing that at the same time. So it's good to have you know, a team and that kind of thing. But I think part of what's happening is that we're asking participants to multitask in new ways that often facilitators had to do before, but now everybody has to do. So they're watching and they're listening and they're typing and they're reading and it's exhausting even in any given meeting. And then you multiply that out times, you know, several meetings a day times months and uh, people are pretty tired. Yeah. Actually, I agree with that. I was, I've been exposed, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last couple of months to a phrase that I hadn't heard before this time. Um, and that was virtual intimacy. Oh. And we've had a whole conversation around what it means. Um, and so even in the, you know, like the kind of the preamble, you know, when, if, oh God, if you were in person and when people are walking into the room, the types of conversations that you would have, yeah. that whatever that particular time of the, of the meeting is that you're calling it online, we've had, I've been having really interesting discussions because of course people are in all sorts of areas of their house or whatever. Um, and it's, it works for some and it doesn't work for others. So in, in, you know, like ground rules or what I call guiding principles for meetings, we actually have to assign time to talk about things like that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And you're right. I'm seeing also the, the need to connect with people and engage with them beyond the transactional work elements, right, has gone Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And there's a lot more of social connections and all of that. Yep. Yeah. So I've really struggled. I've missed terribly the face-to-face -face environment, right? And, and more importantly, the ability to stand up and move around in the room. So how have, how have the two of you been coping with that? I mean, I, I'm still missing it. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How, how I, you I'm laughing because 
this will be audio, you won't be able to see what I'm showing you, but I'm sitting in a, what is a new office for me and it has a desk behind me that will be a stand-up desk, but it arrived um, broken. So I'm waiting for a new part, but soon I plan to be standing and sitting to do my meetings. But what I really miss is, um, well, first of all, I'm trying to figure out lighting all the time because as the sun changes in light and that kind of thing, trying to get the lighting right is tricky. But I actually miss variety of venues because I use space and and selection of venue as a planning variable in meetings. And so I believe that where a meeting happens actually affects what happens in the meeting. And right now we don't have any choice around where it happens. And so I feel like one whole, in addition to the in-person um, experience and energy being taken from us, I feel like the, the choice of venue is another tool in our toolbox that has been taken away right now. Um, and so I miss the variety for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I thought yesterday when I was planning for a session, I've got a series of sessions coming up and I actually took out a marker <laughs> and I realized that I miss using markers. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, something's wrong with that. Can you imagine? I, I miss markers. Um, so with us all working out how to use, you know, like online collaboration tools and become, you know, like proficient at that, I was like, okay, like I say, I miss markers and flip chart. That's what I miss. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what's, uh, you know, from a skill perspective, what's the most fun uh, or incident or maybe tragic incident, whatever you want to call it, or the missteps that you've done in the last few weeks or months of going virtual? Uh, maybe I'll, I'll start. Actually, no, I'll go last. I think I prefer to hear both yours. <laughs> Then I can give you whether it's a really bad one or a good one. I was I was looking forward to you going first because that was going to give me thinking time. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, well, we'll, we'll I can go because I've got so many yeah. right now. Oh my goodness! Um, so one of the ones that happened recently was I'm I've been really trying to find good visual collaborative tools because I'm so used to like you using those markers and flip charts and making things visual and I can do things visually using an iPad for example which I use as my substitute flip chart, but it's not interactive with the group the way a sticky wall or post-it notes or that kind of thing would be. So I've been using various online tools for that. But the problem is once people are already in Zoom or some other um, you know, conferencing type uh, setup, asking them to go to another platform to do something else can be a lot, even if you're just asking them to click on a link. So maybe they're clicking through to a Google Doc or to Mural or Miro or Lino or one of these other collaborative whiteboard kind of spaces. So we had practiced ahead of time trying to decide if we would use the whiteboard within Zoom or whether we would use one outside. The outside one was better, but it, you know, it, it might frustrate people to have to go somewhere else. So we counted clicks and tried to organize what the easiest, simplest thing was. So we do this, we decide we're gonna use the outside thing. We get to the meeting, I've tested it a bunch of times. And what happened was the key senior person in the meeting, when I asked them to click on the link before he even tried it, he crossed his arms in front of them and said, I am not going to one more electronic thing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Thank you so much. So then, and then, you know, started swearing about it and telling us that he thought that this was completely ridiculous and that he just missed being in person and he didn't think anything useful could be accomplished online. And meanwhile, his, the rest of his team had clicked on the link and were exploring this whiteboard space and really enjoying it and doing stuff. And so we had this constant um, 
sort of barrage of negativity coming through as the soundtrack for the rest of his team willingly tried to collaborate. And the whole thing fell apart because he set the tone um, both as the senior leader and as the first voice to speak and as you know, someone of power in the room for other reasons. Right. And um, I don't know as a facilitator I, that I could have prepared any more or better than I did, but the whole thing uh, went very much off the rails as a result. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all let uh, handle disruptive participants in a face-to-face, -face, but doing it on technology is a whole new <laughs> dynamic, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, some of the tools can be overwhelming. Um, and it's not even necessarily that it's new tools. It's just that people using them in a different way. So I had a group uh, about a month ago and, you know, set them up and we were doing some great work. And then it was time to go into breakout rooms and everybody left but one. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so did you see the invitation? Can you click on the screen? And the person's just looking at me like they can't hear and they can't see. And I eventually started, you know, like trying to attract their attention. And then they were like, oh, 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 oh. Because I think that they thought that they were just going to be lifted magically into this breakout. They just, they just sat there. Um, oh. Sometimes I find that the tools are just overwhelming and people don't know what to do. Well, they, they, didn't, they didn't know that they had to click on something to go to the breakout. Yeah. Room. Yeah, they saw the invitation, ignored it, and just sat there like they were going to be magically transported. <laughs> but um, eventually, eventually they did. But um, yeah. so, so yeah. my my nightmare story is early on, probably from about forty-five, sixty days ago, when I did this entire. We designed a full program. We asked the client if they're using the same platform. They said yes, etc. We get the group in. And we created all these breakout rooms and polls and everything. And then we, when the first poll I initiated, every I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see it. Why not? Because they were all using a web browser version of the tool, not the application uh -huh. version. And the web browser doesn't allow them to do polls, breakouts, nothing. It just allows them to see the slide and speak. And, and on the fly, I had to redesign <laughs> Uh, an entire session instantly and take out every single feature that you had built in for group engagement. That does sound like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. well, and that's part of the challenge when we have when our, our toolbox, you know, we try to fill it up as full as we can, even with the tools available to us. But then when even those tools are taken away from us, you know, your internet crashes or the version isn't supported or, you know, whatever, it, it just feels like it's very difficult to run a great session or people's, I think people's cognitive load is just very heavy right now. And so they, we've been having to adapt and change so much that people, we might hit them on a day where they just say, I can't learn one more new thing right now. Yeah. Just yeah. can't do it. Just talk to me. Don't make me click. Don't make me draw. Don't make me talk in a small group. I just want to sit here and take it in. And I think as facilitators, we might know what we think are the best tools for the job but sometimes those tools just aren't available to us and you may do the best you can with what you have, but you know that it's subpar compared to what it could be, but it doesn't matter what it could be. What only matters is what happens in the room. And so, you know, your group doesn't want to hear about what you wish you'd been able to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm finding that piece, you know, keeps us on our toes for sure. Yeah. What, one of the other things that I've also found interesting is seeing participants go through their comfort level with, 
the whole virtual piece as well, right? Because we pay attention. So I'm, I, I've seen participants becoming a lot more comfortable with stuff happening behind them, kids showing up during a session or uh, a cup of coffee or noise, their pets. Before they used to like kind of shoo them away and and as a facilitator, we used to pause to give them some time to, because you could see them going on mute, shutting off the video while the kids are you know, being asked to leave the room or whatever. Today, uh, I, I'm also saying, hey, I, did I see your uh, son, daughter, somebody at the background? Why don't you get them to stick their head in and say hello? Right? So it's, it's a, sort of an interesting dynamic. And that's worked for me. I don't know if you've seen stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have a colleague that they've been in. I've I have a colleague that's been incorporating family activities into some of his workshops, and so um, they might have a. If he was doing a, a multi-day thing online, and he had some time slots there for people to bring their kids in and do things together um, that were associated with the content, but also sort of family friendly, which I thought was a really creative adaptation to how he was, you know, just acknowledging and staying relevant and not oblivious to what's actually going on. Yeah. yeah, bring your child to work day has taken on a completely different meaning, right? Yeah. Bring your child on screen day. <laughs> there you go. Or your pet or whatever it is. But yeah. absolutely, yeah. 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 Now, I had a session, I think, was about a week ago. He took a cup of coffee and as he was drinking, I don't know what happened. I think he spilled it all over himself while he was, while he was off mute and he just through an ex- expletive. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting in the whole group in the middle of an important discussion just burst out laughing. <laughs> but it was just uh, just some interesting stuff happening. Uh, and I guess, you know, for all of us and our whole community in the IAF, it's all about building our skills to navigate. And, and it looks, and it does look like this is going to go on for a while, right? Uh, this is the way it's going to be. So, so what have you done to develop yourselves? Jillian? What, what, I don't think I've, I've ever taken part in so many webinars and online sessions and um, a whole mix of things from things that have seemingly nothing to do with facilitation mm. through to actual facilitation. There's a lot of material available. Um, and like, like Rebecca was saying earlier, what's so cool about this is that as long as you're able to, to join, it really doesn't matter what time. Um, and I'm privileged enough to have flexibility with my time. So if I have to do something that's early or late, I can kind of make up for it. But I've been doing lots of lots of different online sessions, collaborating with co- colleagues, playing with members of family to, you know, like test out this type of application or whatever. Um, I have to say I've been having fun with it because I want to try to be a little bit more prepared so that my clients aren't overwhelmed. Some of this stuff is quite overwhelming for them and I just want it to be a little more seamless than it has been in the past. Yeah. Rebecca, what about you? What have you, what's your development? Early, yeah, early on, I, I um, purchased an iPad and an Apple Pencil and been sort of playing with incorporating more visual and learning more visual facilitation tips not just to happen to be available online but that was something i wanted to get stronger in in my practice and then the other thing i did was um i'd been taking some online improv classes so i had hoped to sign up for these um previously but my travel schedule i thought was going to be packed and ridiculous this year and of course it has not proven to be so there are a bunch of things that i would not have been able to attend that i'm home for and I mean, these online improv classes happen to be local to me, but it wouldn't have mattered now that they're online. But 
um, I'm around uh, every, every week. And I couldn't have found a session previously that I would have been reliably present for. Um, they would have been in person, I would have been away. So I, those are a couple of things. And then some very specific facilitation platforms, um, like I mentioned with whiteboards and post-it notes, that kind of thing, learning the features and how to use those. So there have been some specific things. And then certainly in my business itself, I think one of the pieces that I find myself talking about with facilitators a lot isn't so much the the technical stuff of what's happening in the room, but also how do you manage the fact that your business itself, for those that are self-employed or in a, in a, a business that has been dramatically affected by COVID, how do you adjust and cope with business-related issues, not just technical facilitation-related issues? And so I notice myself um, both coaching people and having to learn a lot in my own practice in that way and also just stay very connected with my networks and having to make much more of an effort on that because before we would run into each other at meetings or in coffee shops and now I have to actually be intentional about setting an appointment which feels too formal to me for what I want to talk about with them but I'm I'm trying to get better at keeping in touch with people through various ways including not using zoom or platforms like that but actually going old school and actually picking up the phone or um, <laughs> suggesting that maybe we both go for a walk at the same time, even though we can't walk together, at least we can both get up and away from our screens for a bit. So just trying to learn how to, yeah, manage a lot of that and doing a ton of reading. Um, I do anyway, but right now it's been reading specifically around how people cope with an acute level of stress over a chronic length of time. And um, I'm finding that quite interesting too. Yeah, I've actually been spending a lot of time in, um, you know, positive psychology and authentic happiness and stuff like that. But in from a professional perspective, um, tools and stuff, I like to have conversations with people and discuss the tool rather than do the self-based trial and error on the tool and watch a video. You know, because I, maybe in the old days, I used to, the old days, before COVID days. <laughs> right? BC, BC, BC. yeah. yeah. BC and SC, before BC. COVID and since COVID. Uh, or, no, I thought it was during COVID, DC, BC, DC, mm. DC. <laughs> <laughs> right? But uh, if, before, I, I would just do a self-learning of a tool. But today, I want to talk to people about the tool and learn with them, right? Yeah, so it's just so dynamic as well. Yeah, so, so one, one thing I've got is I personally believe, I think it's an opportunity for us as a profession, as a community, and as an uh, association, I think there's an opportunity for more facilitation in the future, just helping groups uh, as we come out, eventually into face-to-face -face meeting, to have reflective conversations, to facilitate, what did we learn from this? How do we move forward? So how do we take some of the good stuff from um, what's a pandemic and all the negative things around it, uh, it's, there's a huge opportunity for us to facilitate those conversations. And, and, and I hope people start, start to leverage those as well. I, I don't know your thoughts, Jillian? I, com I completely agree. I completely agree. I, um, like I was saying earlier, I think now is the time more than ever to be having what people would seemly, seemingly call difficult conversations. Yeah. We've moved from a place to a space, but the space is still sacred. Yeah. And if we can just make sure that people are 
um, having conversations around whatever they want to talk to talk about in a respectful way. Yeah. But absolutely. So, yeah, I, again, I, I endorse it. I think it's really, really important in these times. Yeah. Professionally, personally, just just learn to have those conversations. Yeah. And, Online and it forces you to listen in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at every level, even in, even in an apartment complex, right, all the residents have just been through a shared experience. Everybody in a small neighborhood, a town, a community. And, and it would be such a lost opportunity if as we come out of this, we just say, okay, back to normal or back to whatever will no. be the next, that we need to have that pause, reflect and have a conversation mode. Yeah, I, I think it's just so critical. Yep. I, don't know, yep. I don't know how we can encourage people to have that. Something. And I find that it's the the shared experience piece is interesting in this one because the sharedness of it is so global. It's it's so um, widespread that it's not a question of finding someone else who might have something similar similar to you. It's literally everybody has experienced something like this now. And I think a great thing about that is that it's engendering a bunch of compassion around that, and and people are patient with one another. But I also think that, you know, when you go through something difficult, it's good to have people that have been through it or people that are in it right now with you and are kind of sitting in the muck of it with you. But it's also helpful to have people that are outside of that and can help pull you out. And I think I'm noticing that that's what I'm missing is that there aren't, I mean, on any given day, you might have a team member or a family member who's in better shape than you are and can help you. But all of you are in it together. And the all in this together piece is amazing but it's also difficult because there's no one outside of that that can give you some perspective or some relief or some you know kick in the butt to get yourself going or whatever it's tricky when everyone is in it and i think the other piece i'm i'm trying to think through is how we create space for those necessary conversations when people are so tired sick of being on screens and frankly don't have resources to spend on non-essential items and Sometimes some of the conversations I think most need to happen, it's not easy to figure out who will kind of galvanize that or bring the people together or pay for it or, you know, however that works. And I think sometimes that just those practical logistical things can get in the way of some really important things. And I wonder if those of us that care about process and reflection and um, intentionality in a, in a space are going to have to be the ones not only to facilitate those conversations, but maybe to initiate them. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. our role quite different, I think. Yeah, I think it's a great, uh, I think it's an opportunity for all of us as facilitators to reflect. And maybe, I hate to say this, another opportunity to have a Zoom conversation around this. <laughs> <laughs> I can see uh, Jillian essentially going, uh, looking like she needs another cup of coffee right now uh, as well. So I want to let both of you go. But before you go away, uh, one of the things we do on, on, on this podcast is I always ask my guests, is there something that they want to recommend for a RWL, which is anything to read, anything to watch, anything to listen to that will inspire them and around the theme of maybe engagement and bringing groups together? So Julian, any, any, any suggestions, any recommendations for our listeners? So, okay, so I have an oldie but goodie and a newbie for me. The okay. oldie but goodie is a book called Conscious Business by Fred Kaufman. 
Oh. I think it's amazing. Um, it's it's a book actually that, in fact, a colleague of ours, Trevor, um, introduced me to about two years ago. I think um, it's amazing. Really, really good. It's all about building a values-based business, and I use it a lot in my work. And in the newbie for me is a woman called Marcia Reynolds, Dr. Marcia Reynolds, and she's a um, a global coach and talks about reflective inquiry. And nice. that's really cool. Um, it's it's good to have a name to what I think that many of us have been doing for a little while, but she has more theory behind it. So there's my two. Great. Thank you. Um, both I haven't read, so something else to add to my list. Cool. <laughs> Rebecca. Um, I would say on the read front, uh, one book that I found really fascinating at the, that came out right at the beginning of the pandemic, so it's brand new, is called Brace for Impact. And it's available for free download. It's about coping with a pandemic. It's written by two women in Australia, one of whom is a uh, high-performance coach um, on the mostly on the physical side, nutrition and um, hormones and energy management. And the other one is a psychologist who does psychological safety work. And um, the second one, Amy Silver, she herself um, lost family members to COVID and had COVID herself. And in the midst of that was writing this book. And they have done a very interesting um, job of hosting weekly live sort of like podcast webinars called Brace for the Week and kind of helping people walk through, here's what you're likely to experience as you're at this stage of a pandemic. And they look historically at um, how pandemics tend to flow through time, but then also very specifically as leaders and humans, how we can ourselves or our teams be ready in mind and body to cope with this kind of stress. So I'm finding that really interesting. Um, I was joking the other day, I wrote a book last year called Nimble and it's a facilitation book and the subtitle is um, Off Script but Still on Track. And that book has, that title has taken all a whole new meaning uh, in the midst of this year. So last year it was about meeting facilitation and this year it's about uh, just coping in a nimble and responsive way with, um, with what's happening. So those would be my two reads. And in terms of one listen on a completely different level, uh, there's a Canadian guy you might've heard of called Malcolm Gladwell. And he has my favorite yeah. podcast called Revisionist History and the new season has just started. So if you're looking for some good doses of Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History is always my favorite. Just a correction, Malcolm Gladwell is Jamaican. Just uh, to say. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in New York City now, but he grew up about half an hour from where I live. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm in India and we claim everyone is Indian. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all right. Yeah. But what one movie I watched recently, just from a human dynamics perspective, was Twelve Angry Men. If you remember that one, the, the jury duty one. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. Is that the one? <laughs> No, 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 no. That that's. Uh, <laughs> I remember that one too. That's the Tom Cruise one, isn't it? That's Tom Cruise. No, Twelve Angry Men. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. Fifty-seven movie about jury duty, and I think that was really cool. We used to anyway. watch that, and I remember watching that in my high school law class. Yeah. So, yeah. so did you say it's your book is on what is on track and off script? Uh, yeah, the, it's called Nimble, off script yeah. but still on track. Okay, and I, it's think really about, I think. The, Aren't we today off track and on script? I, guess. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. 
anyway. don't know. I, uh, I've got a new book coming out in August called Sightline, and that's the that's where my head has been in getting that one ready. But that one's a little more on strategy and can we plan in an uncertain time like this? But okay, we'll have well, to talk about that on another day. Yeah, let's do that another podcast on that. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining on this. And I look forward to talking with you on uh, one of our board meetings. Absolutely. It's fun to be here. Good to see you. Thanks. Thank Thank you for the opportunity. So that was an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm taking away three things for me and hopefully our listeners as well. First, this is a shared human experience with the pandemic and it uh, doesn't matter where you're in the world. And we had uh, you know, North America, Latin America, Caribbean and India and all of us are going through this, our challenges as facilitators and also we're seeing the same challenges with the groups we deal with. The second takeaway is really around uh, us as a community of facilitators and any of you out there, that fact that we need to keep upping our skills and taking it to the next level in order to stay relevant and keep adding value. And finally, the third one is really uh, this pandemic and the end of it, hopefully soon, will give an opportunity for more facilitation to happen in communities around those difficult conversations, like Jillian said, or even just reflective conversations. So I hope organizations, communities, groups start thinking about structured, facilitated conversations. Okay, we're at the end. See you all next week. Thank you for all the feedback and comments that are coming in. Stay tuned for another episode next week. Over and out. Thank you for listening to the Shiny Happy People podcast. Subscribe to us. We are available on your favorite podcast platforms. This podcast is brought to you by C2COD, your organizational development consulting partner, bringing strategy and people together. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram using the handle at C2COD and get updates on our upcoming episodes.